Think about that question. Did you ever hire the wrong person for a job and end up having to pay because of that? Well, I want to give you, and this is going to pertain to our lesson today, I want to give you my top 10 people not to hire, okay? Top 10 people you do not want to hire, all right? Pay attention to these, and if you've hired these people, I'm sorry, but here's our top 10 of people you don't want to hire. Number one, an Uber driver with an eye patch who texts while he drives. Not a good idea, right? Got the eye patch, texting, that's not going to go well. Don't hire that. Uh, number two, a professional mover with anger issues. That's not going to go well, probably, if you have anything fragile. You don't want to hire somebody like that. Number three, a missile defense operator with narcolepsy. That's a bad idea, right? Not a good idea. Uh, number four, a person you don't want to hire, a lifeguard with two broken arms. How do you think that's going to go? Not well, right? I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming to get you. How about this one? Number five, a heart surgeon with carpal tunnel syndrome. Think about that. A heart surgeon with carpal tunnel syndrome. Ah, bad idea. Uh, number six, person you don't want to hire, a financial advisor with a cocaine addiction. That's a bad idea right there. How about this one? Number seven, a pastor who has a line of credit with a casino across the street. Wait a minute. No, we're good. We're good. There is a casino across the street. But I do not have a line of credit. <laughs> Number eight person you don't want to hire, a nanny with an affinity for practical jokes. Now, the kids might like that, but that might not go so well. A nanny with an affinity for practical joking. How about number nine person you don't want to hire, a tattoo artist with a drinking problem? No, that's not a good idea. Who knows what you'd end up with? Uh, number 10 person you don't want to hire is a chiropractor who is holding a grudge against you. Yeah, think about that one. He would definitely adjust you. He would be adjusted, probably in a negative fashion. So that's the top 10 people you don't want to hire. To transition, I'm going to give you number 11. Number 11, it's a serious one, not a funny one. A Christ follower who is not really committed. And that's kind of what we're looking today is we're going to look at a passage where Jesus is sort of, in a sense, seeking to hire people. And it's found in Matthew 16, 24 to 28. And we're going to call this today All In. Let's read the text together. Matthew 16, 24 to 28. Listen to the word of God. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels and the glory of his Father, and he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. That's our text today. All in is the title of our lesson today. All in. Now, literally right before our passage today in Matthew 16, the Lord Jesus is speaking to his disciples about the fact that he is going to Jerusalem to die. And then three days later to rise again. And our passage that we're talking about today follows that one directly. And so the, I believe the disciples, while Jesus is speaking about the one today, is still grappling with the news that he is about to die and rise again and what that might look like, what that might be like. They're still trying to process that news. Uh, perhaps you've played poker before. Uh, I don't play poker. I don't condone gambling. That's not what this is about. I'm just using this as a metaphor. But perhaps you've played poker before or you've watched someone play it before. When you play poker, when someone believes they have a really good hand, or they're a really good bluffer, uh, they'll, they'll do what's something like this. They'll take all their chips and they'll push them to the center of the table. And they'll say this phrase, I'm all in. I'm all in. What this means when they do that is that they're placing all of their earnings into one deal. If they win, they're going to win big. If they lose, they're going to lose Everything. All in. Well, poker is not our subject today. Again, I don't condone, condone gambling. I'm just using that as a metaphor. But we are going to talk about being all in today. All in. All in for Jesus. There are a few passages in Scripture 
that are so powerful and so convicting, they're almost uncomfortable to even read, let alone seek to obey. And your pastor is taking a chance today. You could say I'm going all in with this passage. Because we finished James, and therefore I could have selected anything to speak about today. I could have chosen any passage to talk about today. And there are much softer and much easier passages to speak about than what I picked today. Passages that would have helped you pay attention better. Passages that would have helped you be encouraged by probably more than this one today. So why did I pick this one? Why did I pick this one? Well, if you remember last week's lesson was on difficult love from the end of James. And I believe the Lord spoke to me through that passage. And I believe that if we want to have a strong and unified church, we need to be all in. All in for the Lord. And this text today is part of me being challenged by the Spirit of God to give out the difficult love to my people. So Lord willing, by the end of this lesson, we're either going to push all our chips to the center of the table, which is our lives, it's a metaphor, and we're going to say, I'm all in, Lord, I'm all in for you. Or it might cause us to fold and quit playing the game altogether. So yes, I am taking a calculated risk today. But either way, who's ever with us at the end of this lesson is really with us one way or the other. Sounds risky, right? Sounds a little risky. Well, your pastors believe it's time. You see, I've been your pastor for two and a half years, going on three years. We've weathered a pandemic together. We've lost some people. We've gained some people. And now it's time to know who we really have, who's really with us. And I want you to know, the Lord Jesus is the one who chose to do it this way. Not me and not Pastor Mel. This is not my strategy for gaining church members, okay? This is not the direction I would have gone. This is the Lord Jesus strategy. The Lord Jesus that we all claim to love and follow is telling us exactly today what it means to be a true follower of himself. And if you know, Jesus had a large following. He had a large following on the earth. And those people wanted to go wherever Jesus did. They were flocking to Jesus. They wanted to see signs. They wanted him to see perform some miracle. They wanted to be cured of their diseases. So people were flocking to Jesus Christ, and things seemed to be going great for a while. The, the crowds were immense and getting bigger. And Jesus was gaining a following that was so big that people were forced to pay attention to Jesus. They were forced to notice him. You could not ignore Jesus during these days because the crowds were immense and something fantastic was going on. Now, if you and I had been in the shoes of Jesus Christ during that day, this would have been the time to really pick up the momentum and really begin winning the world to ourselves. Therefore, we should choose our words really carefully in case we say the wrong thing and we scare some people away, and that would not be wise, would it? Because we're seeking to gain followers, not lose them. And Jesus did choose his words very, very carefully, but not in the way we expect him to. He's about to draw a very distinct line to see who's really with him and who is just following him for other reasons than to love and to serve him. It's a risky move. I'm going to be honest. It's a risky move. If Jesus isn't careful, the line that he was about to draw just might be so severe sounding that many would walk away from him And not follow him anymore. Isn't that true? So his disciples might be thinking when they hear this. Or right before they hear this. Be careful, Lord. Be careful. We love you and we want you to succeed. So please use this opportunity to rally your followers. And entice those who haven't yet begun to follow you. Because we want people gained for the kingdom of God. I mean, I will tell you that as my pastor. I want these seats filled. I want these this little building that we have bursting at the seams, and the disciples would have wanted the same thing for the Lord. More people, more followers. Jesus, pick your words carefully. And then he says this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I'll be honest. I have scratched my head at this text before. Why? Why, Jesus? Why say this? I know you're a truth teller, but these are about the two most off-putting statements anyone could ever hear. Deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me. And this is where we begin to realize something. We begin to realize that gaining a following is not Jesus' primary goal. At least not in the way most of us would have done it. 
Now, he obviously wants followers. Jesus obviously does want followers. But he desires quality over quantity. That's clear by his language today. He would rather have 10 serious followers than 1,000 part-time followers. So let's break down his words today, okay? Jesus has a thesis statement. Here's his thesis statement. If anyone would come after me, if anyone would come after me, simply stated, if anyone desires to follow me, do you? Do you desire to follow the Lord Jesus Christ? If you say you're a Christian today and Jesus is your Savior, then these words are spoken directly to you today. Because you've already said, I'm in, Jesus, I'm in. And if you want to begin following Jesus today, here's what you need to know before you do so. Jesus does not want anyone disillusioned by what it means to follow him. So that's the thesis. Here's the crux of what Jesus wants to say today. He says this, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, as you can tell, there's a very simple outline there. There's three parts to being a true disciple of Jesus Christ the way Jesus desires. Number one, deny himself. Number two, take up his cross. Number three, follow me. And those are the three parts we want to dissect this morning. And let's do so right now. Let's get into number one, deny himself. Jesus says, deny yourself. He's telling us in the plainest of language today that Jesus is the Lord, not us. He is the leader of the kingdom of God, not us. He is the captain. He is the shepherd. He is the master in this relationship, not us. We know that, right? We call him Lord Jesus, don't we? So you and I can move past this one pretty quickly. We've already passed that test. Jesus, you're the Lord. We get it. We've already stated that. We believe that. So we can move past this. Well, not so fast. Not so fast. This phrase is actually much more than just understanding who is in charge. This is the first step to being all in for Jesus. And I want to interpret this passage, this phrase, with another phrase we find in Scripture from one of the first followers that Jesus ever had. His name was John the Baptist. John the Baptist, if you know his life, literally followed Jesus Christ by going before him Actually, I should say that the other way. Jesus followed him by John the Baptist going before him, both in the womb and literally upon the earth. He was born only a few months before Jesus. And if you remember, when Jesus and Mary, Jesus being inside Mary, Mary visited Elizabeth, John the Baptist leaped in the womb at the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he was born a few months before. He lived in the wilderness. And his, his ministry, his job was to pave the way for the Messiah. The Messiah was here, he was coming, and John was supposed to go out and pave the way. Kind of like you do in a jungle with a machete, you just get all the branches out of the way and and pave a way. That was John the Baptist's ministry. And he said in John 3.30, he said this phrase, He must increase, but I must decrease. That's what John said. Now John, at this point, knew very little about the Lord Jesus. He knew enough from his upbringing that the Messiah was upon the earth now. The Messiah had come. And John the Baptist had come to grips with what he needed to do in order to serve that Messiah. And so he's telling us today what it means to deny yourself. It's not just write the answer down correctly when someone asks you, who is your Lord? No, much more than that is required. In order for us to follow Jesus properly, in order for him to be our Lord or in order for us to be all in, we have to go down, and he has to go up. I want you to picture a spiritual teeter-totter. Only in this scenario, Jesus is always up and we're always down. Okay, that's a good visual for what John is saying there. See, our biggest hurdle to following Jesus Christ is not the devil. It's not the world. It's not even sin. Do you know what our biggest hurdle is to following Jesus Christ? Ourselves. We are our own biggest hurdle to following the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the devil, he's tricked us. He does that. He's a a crafty, wily deceiver. And he tricked us. He pranked us by telling us that God created us since God created us. And since he died for us, 
And since he takes care of us, that God must be all about us. This is a very easy trap to fall into. My children fall into this trap from time to time. So my parents serve me. My parents love me. My parents take care of me. I must be the center. <laughs> Clearly, right? I mean, they do all these things for me. Clearly, I'm the center of their universe. And we do this with the Lord. We fall into this trap that since the Lord created us, he died for us. He takes care of us. He protects us. I must be the center. At least that's how the devil wants us to think. In fact, two of the most famous life passages, you guys know what a life passage is? Someone will pick a life passage and say, there, that's what my life is about, that's what I want to think about, that's what I want to memorize. Two of the most famous life passages that have ever been given in Christianity, at least that I've heard and I've been around, are Jeremiah 29.11 and Psalm 37.4-5. I think about 70% of the people that I know who have a life passage have Jeremiah 29.11 as their life passage. And if you look up these verses, you will notice something. That we have fallen hook, line, and sinker for the devil's trap. He has formulated a theology around us. Us. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, plans to give you a hope, plans to give you a future. That sounds great. Uh, Psalm 37, 4 to 5 says, Delight yourself in the Lord. I put that in small print on purpose. It's kind of like a footnote. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Can you tell why we love passages like that? The devil has formulated a theology around us. Those passages seemingly have nothing to do with God. They have everything to do with God blessing me. Do you notice that? Now, I will say this. These verses are in Scripture. They're in the Bible. They are beautiful, godly promises. There's nothing wrong with these passages. I would even say necessarily there's nothing wrong with having that as your life verse. But if you study those verses in context, you will quickly discover they are not what they appear to be in the American society and culture we live in. That God exists for my prosperity and for my desires. He does not. It's quite the contrary. In fact, the way to quickly discover this is to simply be around Jesus. Hang around Jesus. Kind of like our passage today. The more a person is around Jesus, the more the person will realize that Jesus came to get us to follow God's will and God's desires, not ours. Not ours. So the first step to being all in today is to realize that and then to decrease, right? I mean, how, what kind of self-help message is that, right? If you want to follow the Lord Jesus, go down <laughs> to realize that Jesus came to be our shepherd and our Lord. Now, we can't get careless here, okay? Let's not get careless. Jesus does love us immensely, immensely. He does want the best for us, sincerely. He does want to give us a hope and a future in the kingdom of heaven. And he even wants to give us the desires of our heart. As long as those desires line up with his desires. That's what Psalm 37 is saying. But never ever does the Lord want us to think that following Jesus is about us. Jesus clearly came to rule and to reign in our lives. And so he says to us, deny yourself. Deny yourself. What does that mean? What does it mean to deny yourself? Well, I don't want you to overthink it, okay? Let's not get too romantic. I don't need to give you the Greek or anything. It's a very simple statement. It means exactly what it sounds like. Those desires, those plans, those dreams you have for your life, deny them and do whatever Jesus wants from your life. Those ambitions, those goals, those bucket list items you want to accomplish in your life, deny them and chase Jesus' ambitions for your life instead. Those things that you enjoy doing, deny them and do the will of God instead. Anyone ever been on a diet and you desired a piece of cake or a donut during the diet and you have to deny your desire for that cake or that donut for the greater good of getting fit? Well, this is the greatest good there is. 
following our Lord Jesus Christ and obeying and glorifying the God of the universe. Why would anyone do this, though? Why would anyone do that? What You're telling me to give up what I want in order to follow what he wants, a person I've never actually seen with my eyes? Why should I? Why would I do that? Well, we're going to get there. We're going to answer that question before we're closing today, okay? We will answer that question. Before we do that, though, let's go to step number two. Let's soldier on. Jesus said after he said, deny yourself, he said, take up your cross. This is step number two to being all in. Take up your cross. You might be thinking when you hear a phrase like that, wait, 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 you read that wrong, Pastor. Jesus meant he was going to take up his cross. Isn't that what he just said right before this passage? He was the one that came to die for us, not the other way around, right? Well, yes and no. Jesus did come to die for us. That is a very true and very amazing and very glorified truth. In fact, that Jesus was about to do this very thing in only a matter of days. He would literally take up his cross. He would carry it to Calvary. He would let the Roman guards nail him to it, and he would die on that cross for our sins. Right. Amen. So it's true that Jesus died so we don't have to. Well, no, that's not true. At least not entirely. In fact, when you take into account the teachings of Jesus, the more accurate way to say it is Jesus died for us so we could die for him. Now let's break this down a little bit. Let's break down this phrasing, take up your cross. He said, take up your cross. Now a cross is an instrument of death. Now we see the cross as something glorified, something beautiful, something to hang around your neck in celebration of salvation and victory over sin. But that's not what the people would have pictured in the day that Jesus said it. They would have pictured a device of pure torture and destruction, kind of like the rack in medieval times. The cross would have been a very awful thing to bring up at a party. It would have killed the party immediately. You don't bring up the cross in conversation, okay? It's nothing we want to talk about. It's nothing we want to think about. It was literally the worst way to die, okay? So not only does Jesus bring it up, he tells us to take our cross in order that we would follow him. What? Why? We just learned that we need to deny ourselves, and now Jesus tells us to get ready to die right after he told his disciples that he was about to die. Follow me. I'm going to die. You too pick up your cross and get ready to die. Did he really mean this, Pastor? Did he really mean that we are supposed to die? Why would Jesus die if we were still going to have to die? Does that make any sense at all? And I want you to picture here the truest definition of love. Love. Jesus picked up his cross in the name of love. He carried it to Calvary in the name of love. He let his own people nail him to it in the name of love. And he continued hanging on that cross and died on it in the name of love. Jesus did not die because he was a criminal. Jesus died because we were criminals in God's eyes. And he died to love us so that truly, something truly awful wouldn't happen to us for the rest of eternity. And now he says to us, all of us, follow me. It's your turn. It's your turn to take up your cross for my sake, similar to how I died for you. Now, does this mean we will really have to die? Is that what Jesus means? Will we really have to die by following Jesus? Is that what he means? Well, no. Maybe. And yes. How about that for an answer? Does this mean we will really have to die? Let's answer that question quickly. No. Jesus is not saying that we will all die on crosses. That's not what he means. Most of us will avoid a literal crucifixion for following Jesus, even though Peter didn't. He didn't avoid it. Peter actually died on a cross just like his Lord did. But that's not what Jesus means here. So no, we do not have to be crucified literally and physically. That's not what he means, okay? we will, most of us, avoid a literal, physical crucifixion. Praise the Lord. So no. But maybe, because Jesus, following Jesus with true devotion, just might bring death to your door. Do you know that? 
Literal death might come to your door one day simply because you're a Christian. Many have been martyred for the sake of Jesus because they either wouldn't renounce him or blaspheme him or cease to follow him and cease spreading his gospel. So they died. People killed them. And take up your cross does mean that death should be considered before you and I go all in. Because we are to give Jesus that same level of devotion that he gave to us. Even if we are to die for following and staying devoted to Jesus, we should be ready to do so in order to love him because he first loved us. So maybe. And yes, Jesus is talking about death here. But as we often learn in the scriptures, Jesus is once again speaking deeper than just physical death. Okay? He's going beyond that. He's referring to a singular focus and a singular allegiance to himself. See, when someone took up their cross, they prepared for death. When you were picking up your cross, you were literally ready to die. Because that's what was about to take place. So they were preparing to die as much as you could prepare to die in your mind. When you took up your cross, you were getting ready to die. So when someone picks up their cross, spiritually speaking, they are preparing to die to what they formerly lived for. And they are now focused on the life to come entirely. So that old life, they're focused not on that anymore. And they're now focused on a new life to come. Now, uh, my family, most of you know my family. Most of you know all of my family now. My brother even came. Uh, My family still struggles thinking that I'm the exact same person that I was in the 90s. That I have all the same interests that I have in the 90s. And I know this because this past Christmas, I got a board game uh, that was called MacGyver. MacGyver Escape Room. And my brother said, I remember you like MacGyver. And I kind of looked at him puzzled saying, well, I watched MacGyver in the 90s, Travis. And he said, well, you don't like MacGyver anymore? It's like, well, it's not necessarily that I don't like MacGyver anymore, but I was 10. I was 12. I'm now 41. Um, Thank you for the present. It's still in a shrink wrap. I'm sorry, Travis. I will eventually get to that game and play MacGyver with my loved ones. But my, my family has this difficulty thinking that I'm, I'm not still the guy who lived in the 90s. My sister especially, she gets me all these kinds of gifts that are from the 90s. And it's like, well, thank you. But it is honest, right? We change. You change when, when you grow up. Your, your interests become different. Your likes become different. And, and that person that lived in the 90s, he's no longer here, mostly. I mean, Blackberry's still here, but that wasn't the 90s. Um, <laughs> Most, most of that guy, he's no longer here anymore. There's a new Todd, a new Todd that lives for different things, a new Todd that likes different things. And I'm not even speaking spiritually now. I'm just telling you as a physical human being who lives in America, I like different things now than I did in the 90s. Anyone? No? No? Wow. Everyone like, bring back the 90s. <laughs> same bands, same movies, same, same hairstyles, anyone? Um, you see, but when Jesus said, take up your cross... He's telling us our old lives are gone. They're gone. Just like when he first told his first disciples to drop their fishing nets because now they were going to be catching men. And they literally dropped their nets and they followed Jesus Christ. They lost their old lives and they gained new ones entirely. A life that pertains to whatever Jesus says. Their old way of living for their dreams and their desires was now entirely dead. And their new way of living for the things that please God was here for good. For good. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in a very famous passage in Galatians 2, chapter 20, or 2, verses 20. He says this I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And gave himself for me. Is Peter speaking from the grave? Was he literally crucified on a cross? No, that's not what he meant. He's saying old Paul, Saul, because his name actually was Saul before, he's gone. He's not here. He's dead. Now Paul is here and Paul serves the Lord Jesus Christ. Saul didn't. Saul served whatever Saul thought was best. Now Paul serves whatever Jesus thinks is best. So to take up your cross means that Jesus is now your life. Whatever he says is your singular duty in this life. 
Our old lives and our old selves are dead. Dead. You need to think of it that way when we say yes to following Jesus Christ. It's a new life. That's why Jesus says in John 3, you must be born again. The old person is gone and dead. You need a new life completely focused upon the Lord Jesus. So taking up your cross proves to Jesus that we're ready to do just that. I have, I got my cross, Jesus. Old Todd is dead, and I'm ready to serve your purposes and your will from now on. That's number two. And even though we're moving very quickly, maybe too quickly, we've now answered the second question. What does it mean to be all in for Jesus? And now we have one remaining. Follow me. Now, if you've come to terms and you've come this far and you understand what it means to deny yourself for the sake of God's will through Jesus, and if you understand what it means to take up your cross and to die to your old way of living, you're now very light and loose. You don't have anything weighing you down anymore. All your desires, you've denied. Your old self, he's dead. You're now very light and loose. There's nothing weighing you down anymore. All your old desires and your dreams and your wishes and your loves are now gone and they're out of the way. And now you're ready to line up behind Jesus and say, I'm all in for you, Jesus. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to follow your lead. I'm going to do what you say. And I'm going to live and walk the way that you did. To which Jesus would say to us, yes, you're now ready to follow me. That's the train of the, of the thinking there. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and then you're ready to follow me. I want to do something that's very childish right now, but I think it's going to help us, okay? I do this with my children all the time. They love it, so maybe you guys will love it. I want to play a couple rounds of a game called Follow the Leader. Can we? Very simply, you don't have to do anything embarrassing, okay? I'm not going to have you do anything weird. I do that to my children. They love it. I just want you to play a couple rounds of follow the leader. I will be the leader, okay? And you do what I say for the next two rounds, okay? Very simple. It's not going to take a long time at all. Uh, I'm the leader, so everyone, raise your hand. Raise your hand. I'm the leader. Follow the leader. Raise your hand. Everybody, hand up. Okay, so far, so good. Fold your arms. This isn't Simon Says, so don't wait for the phrase. Simon, I'm just telling you, fold your arms. Okay, one more. Stand up. If you can. Okay, good job. You guys, you guys won. Yay. I'll tell my children. You guys are aces. Follow, you guys can sit back down. Follow the leader. It's very simple, right? It's very simple. Whatever the leader says, you do. Now, we did this with my children two nights ago, and then we actually did the opposite, where I became the devil. And I told them to do something, and I said, make sure you don't follow the leader this time. But you guys just learned, follow the leader. It's a very simple process. Now, when Jesus says, follow me, he's telling us, I'm your Lord. I am your Lord. I'm your shepherd. I'm your captain. I'm your master, and I'm your God. Whatever I say from now on is your law. And it should be our privilege to perform. But wait, Pastor, you're moving a little fast today. Why would anyone do these things? Why would anyone deny themselves? Why would anyone pick up their cross and follow Jesus? Why? That sounds like a miserable life. Not very American dream-like. Why would I deny myself, pick up my cross, and follow Jesus? And before we close today, we're going to answer that big question. Because that is a big question, and it needs a big answer. Okay? Why should I deny myself, pick up my cross, and follow Jesus? Let's answer this question today. Actually, Jesus is going to answer it for us because the passage continues. We're going to move through this pretty quickly, but you're going to see the answers pop out at you. Answer number one, he answers in verse 25. He gives us a three-pronged answer to why should I. He answers it because he knows that that question is lingering in the minds of the disciples. Why would anyone do this? And he says in verse 25, if anyone, excuse me, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Number one, our lives here upon the earth are coming to a close quickly. Does anyone feel it? Does anyone feel that life is moving fast? Even college guys, college moves quickly. Life moves fast, doesn't it? 
Anyone feel that? I mean, I actually feel that in their body, like I'm getting older and things are starting to hurt and crack and break down and eyesight's getting worse. We're all there, right? I feel it. I, I'm going to tell you I feel it. I feel the body not responding like it used to. You know, my hair is long gone. Who knows where that went? Um, things are happening now that I'm older. Life is moving quickly. My oldest is almost nine. The twins are almost seven. And we have two options. We all know life is moving quickly. Okay, so we have two options. And I'm not even just talking about Wyoming Valley Church. I'm talking about every single person who lives upon the earth has these two options. Number one, to try to cling on to your lives and make them linger as long as you can with wrinkle creams and workout machines and all kinds of strategies for diet and exercise. And you can get them to linger as long as you possibly can and then you'll eventually lose everything because that's what happens. You eventually lose and death comes anyways and it's all gone. But that's an option and that's an option a lot of people go with. They try to cling on to their lives and make them linger as long as they possibly can. I'm not really getting old because, look, my wrinkles are gone. I'm not really 70 or 80 or 90. I'm, that's not happening, but it is happening. But that's option number one. Option number two is this, and we're finding this today, is we can realize that life is moving very, very quickly, and we can come to terms with how fragile and how fleeting life is, and we can abandon our life on this earth, and we can invest for a much better, longer-lasting life with God in heaven. Those are your two options. But you cannot do both. You cannot try to make your life linger and invest in the life to come. Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. And every single person has these two options. Our options, according to Jesus, are very simple. They're very straightforward. Jesus point blank tells us that if we try to save and secure our life, down here, we will actually lose both our physical life and our spiritual life. How does that sound? You try to make your life linger, and the irony is you lose both. You lose your physical life because no one's ever beat time. No one. Death comes to every single person. So you will lose that life, and you'll also lose your spiritual life because you didn't follow Jesus. But if we abandon our lives now for Jesus' sake, we will actually find the truest, best, most profound life anyone could ever find, and it's life in Jesus. And I'm telling you from experience, it's better, much better than the life I had before Jesus. See, when our lives pass from this earth, and they will shortly, if we sacrificed our lives for Jesus, we will simply upgrade. We will walk through death like it's a passageway into a much better life that lasts for all eternity. Do you want eternal life? I mean, that's a very enticing question, right? Do you want eternal life? We all want eternal life. So the first answer to why we should deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus is because it's the only true life there is. There is no other true life than the life that comes with Jesus Christ. On the other hand, a life that is temporary and stained in sin and saturated in the things that hurt our God is not a life at all. It's a cheap knockoff. It's actually death for the true life with God in paradise that he has created for all of us. And everyone is falling hook, line, and sinker for the devil's trap. He's telling us that life now is the better life. And he's trying to hand us all a forgery. So you will abandon the true life with Jesus. And you'll actually, ironically, lose both. The devil is crafty. Jesus, on the other hand, says, take out your calculators. Take them out, spiritually speaking. Don't take a physical calculator. Take out your spiritual calculator and put in this equation. Simply put in this equation. One earthly life minus your soul. And then hit enter. And see what computes. One earthly life minus your soul and see what you get. And if you do that, you will quickly understand that if you neglect Jesus and all he offers you, it doesn't matter how great your life is upon the earth. If you're going to lose your soul, 
as a metaphor. Here's the equation. One earthly life minus your soul. As a metaphor. <laughs> how I found this picture. Does it matter if you just go skydiving and have a fantastic time flying through the air if you don't have a parachute? I don't know what happened to that poor guy. Maybe that's computer graphic. I hope it is. Um, does it matter if you go parachuting, flying through the air, if there's no parachute attached to your back? And the clear answer is no. The fun of skydiving is so short-lived, and one day it's going to be absolutely terrifying when you begin approaching the ground at a high rate of speed and you have no parachute to save you from hitting the ground. Fun and memories don't matter if you have to lose your life to experience them. Right? See, living for the world instead of Jesus is like skydiving without a parachute. One day, sadly and terrifyingly, the world is going to go splat. And all the fun and all the memories they made are gone. And they've now lost both their lives. And so Jesus says, make the proper calculation. Take out your spiritual calculators once again, and now put in this equation. One eternal soul minus one earthly life. And then hit enter. And see what it computes to. And you will discover that anyone who saves their life, eternal life, by following Jesus Christ will actually gain both lives. They'll gain eternal life. They'll gain the glory of God. And they will actually gain their physical life because now you have a purpose. Now your life can matter. Now your life can go with you beyond the grave. And therefore, you've actually gained both lives. See, your eternal life is secured by the Son of God, the Messiah, the only Savior of the world. And now your physical life has the proper perspective that by following Jesus, you have more joy, more security, and more peace than you would have had following the course of the world. Because now your soul is safe in the refuge of Jesus. And this isn't you anymore. Number three reason people should do what Jesus is telling us to do is he tells us one day soon he's coming back to this earth. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels and the glory of his Father and he will repay each person according to what he has done. Only the next time Jesus comes to this earth he will be coming as the judge. And when Jesus comes again, judgment day is soon to follow. And Judgment Day is going to be a very simple process, but a very serious process. Jesus says you will be repaid. You'll be repaid for whatever you did upon the earth. You'll get payment for it. That's simple, right? That's a simple process. Whatever you did, you'll get payment for. If what you did upon the earth were good things, you'll get rewarded by God. And if you did evil things, you'll get punished by God. That's what Judgment Day is going to be. Very simple. But sobering. That's a sobering reality. Now, what kind of gifts and blessings do you think God could give to people whom he wants to reward? If God wanted to re reward somebody, you think those blessings and gifts might be amazing? Do you think they'd be better rewards than anything the world can give us? What do you think? Can God outgive man? It's obvious, right? But what kind of punishment do you think the Lord can give to those whom he wants or has to punish? Do you think God can outpunish man? What kind of punishment could God give if he desired and had to give it? And it's simple. God can reward and can punish well beyond man. Well beyond man. And if so, if that's true, if you understand and believe that, which one do you want? Reward or punishment from God? And if the answer is an easy one, and it is, this is an easy question, you will obviously desire reward from God instead of punishment from God. And if so, how do you expect to get that reward? And how do you expect to avoid that punishment? How do you plan to do only good and not evil so you can get reward from God instead of punishment from God? 
Do you think it would be good to have someone who could show you the proper way to live and give you the necessary power to live that way? And also, wouldn't it be good to have forgiveness available to you? So that when you fail at doing good, you don't have to face punishment for it at all. And that's the point. The judge is our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the judge and the Savior. If you want Jesus to be your Savior on Judgment Day, then it's best you and I follow him now and receive the necessary forgiveness and the power to live against what is evil and for what is good. Christianity is very simple. You need forgiveness and you need power to live differently because Judgment Day is coming. And Jesus very clearly, very succinctly answered the big question. Why should we deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus? Let's recap. Because life on the earth is short and fleeting and shallow. That's why. That's why you should now abandon your life and get right behind Jesus because the earth is short, fleeting, and shallow. Number two, because if we don't follow Jesus, we will forfeit our souls. We will lose our souls if we do not follow Jesus Christ. That's a reality and it's coming for many. And number three, because judgment day is coming and we want to make sure that we can live for good and not evil before that day comes. And we will be forgiven from the evil we have already committed. Jesus answers the big question with three powerful responses. And if you understand that today, then we have a choice to make. We have a choice to make, all of us, myself included. Will we, using our poker analogy, fold and abandon the Christian path and lose our life forever? Forfeit our soul forever? Stand without forgiveness and without salvation on Judgment Day? Or will you push all your chips to the center of the table and will you say to Jesus, I'm all in, Jesus. I'm all in for you. Will you deny yourself? Will you pick up your cross? And will you follow Jesus? And if you do that, there's one verse we haven't looked at yet. Jesus gives us the reward, which we're actually going to take a part two to this lesson next week and focus upon the reward. So if this sounds a little harsh today, it's supposed to. But come back next week. We're going to linger on the reward. But let's look at it quickly. Jesus says this. He says, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Once again, Jesus is referring to something much deeper than physical death here. He's not saying you won't die upon the earth. That's not what he's saying. He's telling us that before we face the second death, because there is a second death coming, it's eternal and it's permanent when that happens. So before that happens, there will be some standing or sitting here today who will see the Son of Man entering into his kingdom. And how will they see the Son of Man entering into his kingdom? Because he's leading them through the gates of heaven and into the kingdom of God. They're seeing Jesus enter the kingdom and they're following right behind him. His kingdom is their kingdom. And before the second death can grab him, Jesus guides them into the kingdom. The doors are shut and the second death never touches them. Wow. Those who denied themselves, those who took up their cross, and those who followed Jesus are the ones who truly loved Jesus. You wouldn't do that for any other reason, unless you loved him. And their reward is going to be going with him into his eternal, glorious kingdom forever. Instead of eternal Death, eternal life. What's worth that transaction? What's that worth to you? From eternal death to eternal life, what would you pay? What would you give up to simply get that transaction? Eternal death to eternal life. Do you think it's worth a lot? It's worth a lot. Please hear your Lord Jesus today, and please consider if you will say, I'm all in for you, Jesus. You're mine. I'm yours. Let's do this together. And no matter where you are in your spiritual walk today, go all in for Jesus.
before it's too late. Because I don't know if tomorrow's here. Say to him today for the first time ever, or say to him anew today, and reaffirm your soul before God, I'm all in for Jesus Christ. Guys, when I was 26 years old, I finally said this to the Lord for the first time. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know where this is going to take me. I don't even know what to do. But I'm all in, Lord. I'm all in. And I meant it. And here I am because of that decision. The Lord deeply loves you. He deeply loves me. Let us understand that he first denied himself. Did he not? Did not our Lord Jesus first deny his own desires, his own wishes, his own glory, and come to the earth? Remember decrease? Didn't Jesus first do the decrease? Didn't he first take up his cross? He did, literally, physically and spiritually, took up his cross. And didn't he follow God's plan for his life to save us from our sins? What Jesus is asking of us today, he actually did himself first. So we are actually following his footsteps. And this Jesus, he desperately wants us to find the only life that can truly satisfy us, which is a life with him, our creator, and our God, forever. He's worthy. He's worthy of being all in. I'm telling you that from the Bible, and I'm telling you that from experience. Jesus is worthy to being all in. Are you all in today and going forward? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this message, even though it's challenging, even though it's hard and and deep, I thank you for it because we need it. And I ask you, Father, that you would please do the work in the souls right now that only you can do, that you would awaken, that you would reveal, that you would inspire, that you would motivate the souls who have heard this message to say either for the first time or maybe the first time in a long time, I'm all in, Jesus. Because you're worthy and because one day, we will follow you into the kingdom of heaven where life truly matters, where tri- life truly lingers, where life truly glorifies God, where life truly has a purpose, and where the second death can never touch us. I thank you for this message. Do and build your church for your own glory. And we give you all the glory today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.